This train is inbound. From Sector C. My crime is that of outsmarting you. If you have not yet submitted your identity to the retinal clearance system, communications interface online. You're not dealing with AT&T. Automatic medical systems engaged. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Defensive weapon selection system activated. Have a very safe day. Like getting in character. Well, truth be told, not to make you feel bad, but I actually spent the whole day just digging around, aside from writing algorithms for my Arduino, saying, oh, thank God Enigma has it. I don't have to do anything all day. I can just show up and just be like, woo. So now I like, went to the pool and relaxed, and now I'm all out of my element. <laughs> so I threw you out of your element. Yeah, you did. Anyway, that is from San Diego, California, I'm Trey Canubis. <laughs> and from uh, sunny Florida, uh, I'm Enigma. How's it going, buddy? No, oh, not too bad. It's uh, a little late again here on a Saturday, but uh, not too bad. What have you been up to lately, Greg? Oh, I've been uh, working on a thing for the Arduino that I'll talk about probably next week, and uh, other than that, it's been pretty chill. I, you know, I did actually get one funny email from VMware where they invited me to register for VMworld 2010. Have you heard about this? Uh, yeah, the one in uh, San Francisco. The one, the very one. Did you get the same email? Uh, no, I got the one from Oracle World, <laughs> which is actually at the same event. That's so lame. Who would go to Oracle World? It's like, like, like I can understand going to really, really specific conferences, like you know, Torcon's really specific, but like Ogfest or you know, Linksfest Northwest is really specific. But why would you go to VM World? It's just a bunch of people standing around going. Oh, isn't it great that VMware 10.6.4b now supports 256 USB devices? And I'll be like, oh, great, because I was really hitting that 128 limit. That was really a ceiling for me. Like That's, well, a, that's all this conference is. Well, um... You know, to, the new to, VMware. To, to uh, put a business sense into it, um, the, Java 1 is also at that same location. Java so they do, one. I think, VMworld, Java 1, and Oracle World are all at that same in that same area the, the, in San Francisco. Um, so one of our developers is a Java developer, and he's going to um, Java 1. And um, What do they have to say at Java 1? Yeah, you still can't actually write once no, and run anywhere, but it's close. No, it's like they Next have... Next year for sure. They have like, uh, like talks like a DEF CON or a TORCON or whatever on specific Java... Stuff. I don't know. I'm not a Java developer, but okay, I'm I suppose that's interesting. But you can't be a VMware developer. So all the no. talks must just be like, look at all the new USB devices we support. No. So VMworld yes. would be more like, you know, configuring and networky kind of things. <laughs> VMworld. So, yeah. Uh, one of our uh, admins is heavy into the VM side of things. So he was interested in um, VMworld, but work isn't paying for that, so I don't think it's he's like going. It's like a bad movie. So, hey, it's like if, Zombieland. If, uh, if work paid for me to go to Oracle World, I would be there in a second. <laughs> Oracle World? That must be so lame. New, Why? exciting queries. No, it's more of how you get your database to run faster, better, you know. It's like the bionic. You know, with this new command line fast. Oracle is now eight percent faster. Oh, thank you, Oracle. It's it's kind of like uh, you know the bionic man. You know, make them bigger, stronger, faster. 
whatever. Yeah, but it's a whole database. The databases just aren't that exciting, no matter how you cut it. Yeah, it, it's different. I'm I'm getting more of into the uh, databasey side of things at work. I'm doing some things with uh, getting into the reporting and uh, database maintenance at work. So I've been working a lot with SSRS, which is SQL Server Reporting Services. Have you ever heard of it? Vaguely. Just hold on a second. All my lights just turned off, and now I'm in the dark. <laughs> I knew you were in hold the on. dark a long time ago. So back to the fascinating world of SQL databases. All right, so have you heard of SSRF? Vaguely. All right, well, it's this whole, you know, and, and I'm sure I'm going to get so much hate mail for this because I'm... I'm supporting a Microsoft product. Oh, no one emails. The only person that emailed the show was 5150. It was a really nice note, and I should give him a shout-out for that. But continue. 5150? Who's 5150? Um, there's some guy. Right. Really nice, though. Some guy. All right. Anyway, yeah. um, back to my thing. Um, so it's this whole suite of tools that are um, around reporting, you know, creating reports in SQL uh, off of any type of OA or... ODBC connection. So you can talk to Oracle, you can talk to um, SQL Server, you can talk to a Microsoft Access database, which we actually have one in production. Maybe you can clarify this. I- I've heard that the Microsoft Access is basically just like Microsoft's, um, like it's basically just SQL, but in like a file format? Yes. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it's basically a very bad implementation of, of a SQL, database. Right? Yeah, and and yeah, it's it's bad. So okay, so, yeah. but but not for you because you had this exciting new software. Yeah, well, um, we had a guy that was the SSRS guy that did all the reporting, and anyway, he's leaving That's us for a, a better opportunities and for a real him. job. Yeah, for for a real job, we're just you know a bunch of monkeys around there. But anyway, how do you end up being an SRS guy? Like that's all you do. Um. Anyway, um. So it's it's. It's kind of like it's a um, a stripped down Visual Studio, so you have a lot of the of the functionality of Visual Studio um, in this reporting software. And I might go into it a little more uh, in depth when I know a little more. But right now, I'm just kind of taking what he has developed and kind of playing with it a little bit and trying to get what I need done. But it's um, a very uh, object oriented reporting tool so you can create a query to talk to an odbc database and get your results and display them in the manner that you would want to display them in and create you know pie charts graphs pretty little things that make the upper management go wow but anyway couldn't you do that couldn't you do that anyway though like i thought that was like, uh, whenever I do an interaction with MySQL, it's always a query. Isn't this just like querying this? Or Right, but um, the nice part about SSRS is um, it can be in an automated fashion. So it has oh, a web server. So basically the way we have it set up is we have this reporting service on a web server. And this web server um, does all of the number crunching and then displays the reports. So we have this intro intranet. Uh, page where we can go and click on a report, it generates it, and uh, we can also do where it generates the report and emails us every you know week, let's say, or every day or whatever we wanted to do. So it's it makes report generation automated. So. Oh, oh, so this is like that um, 
uh, I've that uh, there's a thing like magic reports or like uh, quick reports or something. There's, an, there's another product just like this that probably is the direct competitor that is actually really kind of badass. Maybe where you can take like the, all these data sources and it will like uh, basically do exactly what you said, like run the automated queries and such. Okay, I know what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yep. Um, this is just Microsoft's version, and it's geared more toward reporting on um, SQL servers. So, uh, but you can use it on any ODBC connection. So we have we're primarily an Oracle shop, so we have it talking to an Oracle uh, database. I see. But you're not going to attend Oracle World. I am not going to attend Oracle World only because they're not paying for it. I'd be there in a second. I'd be there in a second if they would pay for it. I need like some carnival mirrors. Like step right up and check out Oracle World. Do 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 do. That's what it sounds like. That that's just wrong. See the three-headed database. Ooh ah. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, so <laughs> the world's tallest midget. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's basically what I've been doing. I've been uh, uh, working a lot. I this is my first day off in like three weeks. So I've been taking world's it off. Shortest giant. Well, that's cool. That's good. So, anyway, and I and I know I ditched you for the show topic tonight, so uh, you know, Enigma has something so great that it wasn't ready in time for this week, so I had to scramble and figure out something. So I'm just going to tell you some stories. <laughs> I need like a like a stories around the campfire jingle. No, it's it's story time with Drake. Story time with Drake. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, I I do actually have two stories that I love to tell. There's uh, one I'm just going to make up because it's too illegal to be true. Um, so any. Uh, vague resemblance to reality in the first story. It's just coincidental. Okay. And the second story is actually true, which happened at Tourcon, which is where we um uh rigged the candy corn guessing contest. You know, one of those contests like how many candy corn are in the jar? Win a pony or whatever. And we uh rigged that, so we won. But um, the first story. So is actually more interesting. What, so so you didn't have any um, turning the the pool purple stories like a DefCon a, a few <laughs> years ago. No, I, I I have a story about a hacker conference and a story about a pool, but nothing combining the two. Dang it. All right, okay. Uh, the pool thing, uh, which would be especially interesting if it happened, but let me make that absolutely clear that it never happened. But the um, uh, I'll tell it from the perspective uh, for me as if it happened, so you can – it'll be a fun story, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's this uh, pool by my house that uh, my friends and I like to go to, but it closes at 11, which is a problem because we go in the late evening, like around midnight um, – Mind you, we don't cause any problems or make any noise or anything. We usually, in fact, we usually just sit in the jacuzzi, but um, we all have, like, jobs and classes and stuff, so we just can't be there much before 10.30. May I interject for a second? Yes, and interject as much as you want. We need to feel time. You don't have a job, so, you I know. did when this happened, even though it never happened right. because it's not real, but I... Uh, that's when I was still doing consulting you, work. You theoretically did did have a job at that. Yeah, if, if I had done this, I would have had a job. But so there's a pool area, and it's just, you know, it's like a typical pool, and it's controlled by uh, RFID tags that are assigned to everyone in the community. And if you're not familiar with RFID, it's basically you have this little IC, which is an integrated circuit or like a, like a small chip, if you will, and it's just attached to a coiled wire that serves as an antenna. When you put the card near the reader, uh, which is always constantly broadcasting, it will use the actual RF power from the reader to energize the card, and then the card can transmit its own little signal back. And most of the RFIDs, at least the cheap ones, are passive, where they rely entirely on power from the reader. But there are also active ones, which have their own battery, and um, like semi-active or battery-assisted ones that use both, but that doesn't matter. Um, point being, uh, 
The RFID reader gets the number from the card and it passes on to this dedicated controller that checks to see if the card should have access, and if it does, it will engage the door lock and open the door. But after hours, it's set to deny any card that isn't in like the management or security group. And um, if you're thinking, oh, well, that's obvious. You just got to move your card into the management or security group or duplicate a card that's in the management or security group, and then you're in. Well, that would work, I'm sure, but it creates an audit trail that I was trying to avoid. And there is actually a magical third option that you can abuse to get these doors to unlock. Um, and that's – it's called different things in different systems, but it's essentially an override. There's actually a way that you can get these doors to unlock without leaving any logs in the system. It's usually used for emergency purposes but also for testing purposes. And it's – you can trigger it either at the um, – at the actual controller itself, or usually it's an option in the management software because uh, the way you manage these doors, or when, with most units anyway, is that you have some computer that's hooked up to some serial cable that actually goes to the dedicated hardware controller, and you program things on the computer, and then it will sync with the controller. It's never, it's very rarely a single computer actually doing all the controls because it's faster for a dedicated piece of hardware to do it. So, um. I figured I couldn't get access to the actual uh, dedicated hardware unit itself, but this particular place happened to have a router that was vulnerable to a particular attack that lets you gain SSH access after you give it an invalid URL string. So I did that, and then I had the SSH access on the router, which was not as useful as I thought it would be. And this place is not a class act, so the router wasn't telling me anything important about where I could find such a computer that might manage such a uh, dedicated hardware unit. Um, and this machine wasn't showing up in an Nmap scan, and I'm not an Nmap pro, but it wasn't showing me anything worthwhile. Um, what did show up, though, was one of these large industrial copy machines. You know the type I'm talking about? They're like huge and expensive and do all kinds of things? Mm-hmm. One of those showed up, and I uh, talked to it, and it had a uh, web interface. And the password could be anything, but it wasn't. It was the default password, so I was able to look at the web interface. And the, I was just kind of thumbing through the tabs, and I remember the, the, the print spool logs didn't say anything helpful. The fax was not applicable. Um, it would tell me the IP address of who was logged into the web interface, but that was only me, which was actually a problem I had to go back and clear later because your router shouldn't be logging into your copier. Um, but on a whim... I found that it had um, an FTP server, and that's, um, you know, people actually said, why would the copier have an FTP server? Well, actually, it's really common if, let's say, one of the desktops has a scanner, you can set it to automatically scan to the FTP and then, say, automatically print anything in the FTP, or, or sometimes you can save documents to FTP and get them later. It's just it's, That's a handy feature to have, but... Mm-hmm. Sure enough, there was actually a small storage space. It was like like 128 meg or something on an SD card where it had all the files stored. And right next to that was a list of all the computers uh, that owned each file. And one of them was called Manager PC. And I was like, oh, praise the Lord. There it is. Because Manager PC was a host name. So even though I had no idea what the IP address was, uh, which actually turned out to be really bizarre, so I'm not ashamed that I couldn't find it, I could just hit the host name. And more importantly... It was the manager's PC, which means – well, it doesn't mean but managers are usually not the most technically savvy people, and they usually have weak passwords like password. And I find that they always forget to turn their computer off, and this was kind of self-explanatory. But manager PC is a convention that Windows will use to name things. Like if your username is you know, Drake Anubis, it will suggest, well, do you want to name your computer Drake Anubis PC when you're setting it up? So um, now I knew that was Windows, but that was pretty obvious, even though it could have been Mac, I suppose, but it's probably Windows in the office environment. But I also had his username, or her username, I suppose, which was also really helpful, too, or at least it ended up being helpful. Oh, and I should point out, by the way, um, 
you would sus- expect to find the uh, IP addresses in the router, but I couldn't find it because this particular computer had a static IP address, so it wasn't showing up in DCHP, uh, the DCHP tables. So DHCP. DHCP, thank you. Dynamic host something protocol? Control pro- protocol. Thank you. See, this is why I keep you around, because you're, like, you're on the ball today. All right, thank you. Yeah. I know you were spending too much time at the pool, but I, I, I got was, it. <laughs> yeah. God. Well, I spent the time before that work, and I'll go into it later, but anyway, so I was like really excited that I found this. I'm like, oh man, I bet I can ping this shit, and sure enough, I pinged it right in the face, and I was like, what? And I was like really getting into this, and mind you, I'm like sitting there on my laptop outside of this like office complex, and like there's like a, a, a parking uh, a parking lot a um an actual park right there, and kids were like tossing a beach ball around, and some kids like, hey, Mister, you want to play tag? I'm like, no, kid, I'm saving the world, get lost, like, okay, <laughs> or something like that, you know. And I'm trying to act all nonchalant. My mind's like, oh man, there's probably like a billion Metasploit packages for this. I know some people I can call or. God help me if it's like a, an unpa- uh, uh, unpatched Windows XP machine where you can just look at it funny and it'll just tell you all of its secrets. <laughs> so, yes, um, it will. Yes, it will. <laughs> yeah, it will. So um, I ended up setting up an SSH tunnel, which is really cool, where um, I, I, dedicate, I specify a port on my local machine, and uh, that same port is specified on whatever I'm SSHing into. So um, if I hit a port on my laptop, it forwards to the router and then comes out of the router as if my laptop was plugged into their network. It's called a... Uh, port tunneling or port forwarding, um, but I, I I bound this to port three three eight nine, and I was hitting it with R admin. Do you happen to know the significance of port three three eight nine offhand? I do not. Take a guess. What do you think the most valuable port would be to hit on a machine you're trying to get access to? RDP. That's the one. That's three three eight nine has been the default RDP port since like Windows two thousand or NT or something. Oh, wow, you actually taught me something today because I didn't oh, know the... Yeah, fun the, trivia. Do you know what NT stands for? I do not. New technology. Oh, yeah, I knew I knew that. I just... Yeah, I read that, that in a book called... Uh, this is how lame I am. I have a book called uh, Showstoppers, The Breakneck Race to Create Windows NT and the Next Generation at Microsoft. And why did you read this book? It's a really <laughs> exciting book. It's actually really funny how they managed to create Windows NT. Okay. All right. I'll... <laughs> Okay, moving on. Moving on. So I hit this port. Um, if I had actually done this, which I didn't, but uh, I hit the port, and sure enough, it bounces back. Our, our our admin does with one of those blue default Windows login prompts saying that you have the wrong password, which was great. Well, not that I had the wrong password, but it was great that it worked, which means uh, that RDP was running on the target machine, and the default password was just because it logged in blank without me specifying it. And I had the manager's username, which was manager from the host name of the computer. Um, so it only took me a couple minutes to try reasonable passwords it turned out to be the password that was actually the number of the suite in the office building where the management complex was so that wasn't too hard to figure out and on his desktop which was actually either really clean or he never actually used this computer which is possibly more probable um was this icon that looked like a door and had the name of the company who was on the key card so that was very clearly the controller it was like right there it was like jackpot um, Thank you very much. May I have yeah, another? I'm, I'm sure he never even, or he or she, might have been she, never even actually used it because, you know, I'm sure they have some underling that manages this, but they might want to feel the power and have it right there. So I opened this up and uh, it asked me for a login prompt and I tried, you know, admin password, the manager's credentials that worked before and nothing was going in. I was thinking, well, I could do a key logger or social engineer or something or I don't know, the application looks stupid. It probably just stores the password in a text file somewhere or something or a registry key. Um, mm-hmm. But I ended up finding the actual owner's manual to the thing online, 
And it had a section on how to reset your password. And in this section, like printed in the, well, this was a PDF, but it would have been printed in the manual, was a, like essentially a, a root password or a super user password to the system that was like, incompli- it was complicated to change this password. And it was just like, uh, I forget what the actual thing was. But you type this in, and this is like, the highest level you can have in this thing. Your account doesn't leave logs. You can disable any account you want. You have unfettered access to anything. It was, like, insane. It was great. Mm-hmm. But this was, like... Anyway, the, the, the application was fantastic. It automatically synced with the uh, hardware controller, and it started displaying every name in the system, every card number, logs. You could do almost real-time views of every door in the area, so you could watch people walk in and out of things. Uh, uh, doors click open and click close. You could see who had ele- elevated privileges, when they were used, when people were going into places where uh, you wouldn't expect them to be. It was really actually kind of cool. That would have been really handy. <laughs> but more importantly... It had what I was looking for in the first place, which was what's called a what they called a live control panel that lets you select any door and specify a state. So you can use it to, uh, for emergency unlock or emergency lockdown. But uh, in my case, you could say you know pull door and press the obnoxiously big open button, and it would just keep the door open. It would just hold it open until you hit the close button, and with no Hi- trace. The, what's hypo- that? Hypothetically, could you have set it on a timer where you? Uh had it pop open at a particular time on a particular day? Yes, you could have, because that's how they controlled the um, people getting in and out. There'd be, they had uh, timers that said, after this hour, keep it closed unless you know this event occurred, and the event was if you see management or if you see security or someone else. But yeah, you could have, but that would have been in the group section, and I thought that they might try that, or I would have thought this if this had happened. So um, I played with this feature, and you can actually open and close doors without creating what's called a card event, because no card was present. The door just opened and closed because you told it to. There was no log of this, because nothing actually logs the physical movement of the latch, just whether or not uh, a card tripped it or not. Right. So, uh, with some hypothetical bouncing and routing, I had uh, the ability to access a remote computer on my iPhone, uh, and that remote computer was remote uh, um, desktoping into this computer, and uh, what I would do is I could hold my card up to the reader. It would say denied. I could tap the button on my phone. The reader wouldn't make any noise, but you could you know, silently pull the door open because it was holding the lock back, and the reason you held up your card was for what's called plausible deniability. So if you ever get stopped by security, um, you could say, oh, I don't know, I held my car up and the reader made a funny noise, but then the door opened, so I thought it was okay. And if they check the logs, they'll say, yeah, there was the card and the door opened. That's weird. But um, if you hadn't done this and like you got caught, they they look at the logs and say, well, that's funny. No one ever swiped their card to get in. That's kind of strange. And you don't want to be like a ghost in the pool, so you have to make it look like it was a system error. You see what I'm saying? Right, yeah, yeah. So, and and it would always you know look kind of funny on the camera if you just like tapped your phone and the and the yeah door exactly opened. there were yeah. there were um uh, there were no cameras anywhere in the area but there was one further in it wouldn't have seen anything now that I think about it but um because it was actually kind of it was it was looking yeah hypothetically it would have been looking for people smoking pot by the bathroom I think but um no it was the whole thing worked out very very well and I was just surprised how uh, complex these door systems were. Yeah, um, I used to, another story for another day, but I used to work for a uh, correctional facility, and we, we had fun with the door controls. And I actually Just out of curiosity, what was the uh, company name that provided you those doors? Um, I could probably look, I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay, probably, now that I think about it, it probably wasn't the one I'm thinking of, because they service, I think, Southern California only, so never mind. Actually, I don't know. We'll talk about this later off show. Alright, we'll talk. 
But um, anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. The second story I have, which is a lot. Uh, well, can I interject? F- interject a couple of uh, short. Sh- uh, yes, interject all the way. All right. Well, I have a couple of. Now that you've been telling story time, I'll tell a couple of stories oh, on, story on mine. Uncle Enigma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you, you uh, turned a thought when you said that copier. Yeah, uh, that copier in your story. So my uh, my fun. <laughs> Back in, in college, and and this was technically sort of legal. Like they knew I was doing it, so so it maybe kind of happened. So so it 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 did happen. It's just you know it, it was it was it was all above board. I was in an ethical hacking class, so no, you know I was toying around on the network. Anyway, I was bored one day. I w- I actually audited um, the ethical hacking class a couple times when I was in college because I was bored. Um, and I knew the teacher very well, so I, I just kind of screwed around in the back of the class while they were working. Anyway, um, so these uh, these big laser jet printers that they have in, in some of the colleges, um, the, you know, just the desktop laser jet, like the, the HP HPs? Des- the, yeah, the HP, like, laser jet. I don't remember the model number. Anyway. Um, is this story going to go into LCD screens by any chance? It is going to go into LCD screens. Oh, okay. So, do you remember Iron Geek's um, thing he did a, a while ago with uh, Freaknik, where he changed like LED screens? Yeah, I I I vaguely remember something regarding Iron Geek, and I remember it was on Paul dot com too for a while. And I remember that uh, there were certain HP printers you could change the LCD screen to anything you wanted. And I would always change. Man, this was a long time ago. I would always change the ones in my high school to say "insert twenty five cents" and throw people off. Well, uh, I did the whole "I am God" thing. But that's pretty good. Anyway, um, so I just wanted to mention a couple things about HP printers because they're they're really cool to play with. Um, yes. You can um, tell net to the if it has port ninety one hundred open, which is the de- the um, oh, what's it called? It's the protocol uh, these printers use. Um, um, PCL, PCL, P- PCL, and P- PJL. Um, you can telnet to these, and they have usually they have no password protection whatsoever on it. So you just telnet to the port, and you can send commands to the printer. Oh, PCL. That's printer command language. Yes. When you said command, I thought of it. Yeah, PCL. Um, so, like, if you telnet to that port and send commands to it, most of the time, if there's no username and password on it, you can, you know, just send random commands to this printer. Like what? You can well. First off, you can print from command line, which is kind of cool. Well, like um, like so echo can, hello or something. Yep, yep. You can do that. Is it really, that's cool. Yeah, you can you know uh, type a little message, send it to the printer, and it'll print it out, which is kind of. You can also cat your entire hard drive to the printer, which not saying that I ever did that, but it's <laughs> theoretically possible. Oh, so it will just like start spewing anything you put there. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh. So, so like catting your entire hard drive. Not saying that that I ever did this, but no, that'd be wrong. Only a mean person would do that. Or if you did it from multiple machines at the same time, would be really wrong. The printer must just crash uh, after that. It can't. Yeah, yeah. It um, you can basically DOS a printer that way because it only has so much buffer. Yes, yes. You can override the buffer. Um, <laughs> That's most anyway, you can also change the little like we talked about the little um display screen to say whatever Mm. although that isn't as cool as you would think because all they have to do is turn the printer on turn the printer back off and it clears it yeah it's only stored in ram 
you would be surprised. Well, maybe not in office, but uh, you'd be surprised how many high school students don't want to touch the power button of anything, though. True. Or true. librarians for that matter. Well, like I was, I was toying around with this, and and I showed the the they have a little student admin at my college, and um, I, I was screwing with him one day, and I changed it, and I and I said, "Come here and take a look at this." And uh, he saw it and smirked at me, and then he's like, "Well, well, how are you gonna fix it?" And uh, I, I shake shake my shoulders, and and he's like, and he turns it off and turns it back on, and I was kind of depressed because I was like all proud, and it's that easy. <laughs> Should have like a like a bash script or something. Yeah, well, I'm if I ever get back to it, I want it's got to be stored. That information has got to be stored somewhere on the hard drive. Like somewhere it's gotta exist where it says ready. So if uh, you could oh. overwrite that <laughs> and su- make it always say that. Uh I, su- I bet you it's in the firmware somewhere. You could probably yeah. get in a copy of the firmware modified. Actually you could probably yeah. just run through it with hex and look for ASCII screen. ASCII string. You could probably do that, but anyway, another topic or the other um thing I wanted to talk about with these printers is they have surprisingly large hard drives. Um, I believe the one I was toying around with had something to the to the realm of twenty gig of no. space. Yeah, I've okay. You're talking about like hard drive space and not RAM because I've seen printers with RAM that's like up to like five hundred twelve megabytes, but never hard drive. Space. No, no hard drive space. Why? These are the network printers. They store the jobs on the hard drive. I want to print, but just not right now. Maybe in a couple of weeks. Well, you can save print jobs. Uh, <sighs> Eh? I might. It might have been ten gig. I don't know. It was. Oh, it was. Any gig is. Give me a use case scenario. I don't know. I don't know why <laughs> this would ever be existence. But they have surprisingly large hard drives. Um. So they also have a web server. Mm-hmm. Most uh, in most of these network printers. Yeah, for like admin and, and such. Yeah. Most of them are not protected password wise. You can just you know go to the web page and do whatever. So theoretically, you have this file server sitting on your network with, you know, X number of space. Sure. So you could theoretically hide files there that you didn't want anyone to know about. Because who's going to think about think about looking at the printer's hard drive? <laughs> That's not bad. So thank you. I try. That's... Not saying that I ever do such things, but no. you know, hypothetically, you could store information there and. No one would ever know the wiser. Well, I wonder if you'd set up like iSCSI and boot from it. You almost probably could. Probably could. That's never slow. tried it. But anyway, slow. so my second story is, um, you know, this, the uh, going into like some apartment complexes, you have the little keypads. The that, yes, I'm, I'm familiar with the keypads. The for the for the gates. Yes. You know they're uh, controlled by DTMF tones, right? Yeah, what what's his name? He gave a talk at Torcon like uh, a year or two ago. Um, who's that guy we both know? Uh, oh, Savant. Savant. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know he gave a talk about this. But anyway, my my story hypothetically, um, this one is very hypothetical because it involves uh, <laughs> very hypothetical. That's like that's like being very pregnant. <laughs> an emergency vehicle tone. So a lot of the um, the gate controls have. Um, an override so you would have like a all the emergency vehicle has to do is like chirp their horn and it'll open 
Quick so side he, thing, a lot of them have what are called MERTs or Opticoms, which are things that look for a, a certain flashing light pattern, which will oh, tie into what I'll talk about eventually later. Okay. Yes, um, but not today. Anyway, um, so hypothetically, you could get a tone from, from an emergency vehicle, go up to the said device and play it back, and it'll open the gate. Yeah, I bet it would. I've heard that you can even, that some of them, like, you know how um, uh, you can, in some places, call a depart- an apartment and say, oh, yeah, hey, Sally, it's me, open the door. And she can mm-hmm. press, like, three on her phone and the door will open. Yeah. I've heard that in some times you can actually just, like, hit three on your cell phone, and if it actually makes a DTMF tone and not just a generic tone, that it would just hear that and then open the door. Oh, that's cool. I think I've it, heard that I'll sometimes. Have to, but it, I'll have to try that. Yeah. Um, they're also very, you know, you don't even have to go to that extent. Most of them are just a standard keypad. And you can pretty much guess, like in my apartment complex, it's four digit and a pound. So if you know the the uh, the the combination, you can pretty much you know brute force it and get in. I mean, I used one, to two, use... three, and four are all blank keys, all rubbed off from being pressed too much. That's weird. Well, no, I used to use one, 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 or four ones, and it would get me in. So I would intentionally. I have a code. But I would intentionally not use the code to see how many codes I could get. And I had like two or three. That's not bad. You know, this never happened either. But one time I, I didn't uh, get access to someone's voicemail. It was just on a, by, almost by accident. Just like uh, dialing 2580, which is right down the center of the keypad. So you this, know, is, this is never going to work. So, <laughs> so this is like a Paris Hilton uh, uh, email story? <laughs> kind of. Although okay. that was done with spoofing caller ID, but that's different. Uh, yeah, on that's a, a side story. note, I just found that you can buy a hard drive for an HP printer that's 80 gig, and it comes built with a 128-bit AES encryption. See? Exactly. It doesn't make it okay. It makes it... You know how much this thing... Oh my god, this thing costs $700. So so you're you're busting on me for saying I had a, like a 10 gig. Like, why would you ever need a 10 gig uh, printer, and there's an 80 gig Oh my god, what is it, 70 divided by 80? That's, gonna, that's got to be like, oh my so god, that's like $10 a gig. It's got to it's gotta write, you know, the jobs. Like, if you save a job, it's got to write it somewhere, so it's going to write it to disk. So if you have no, a very large no, it company... To, if you send it a job, it's writing to RAM. No, 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 but I'm saying if you save the job, like, you can save a print job on a, on a printer. Uh, I've, I've, I can't imagine why you'd want to do that. I don't know why you would want to do that either. I can't think of a practical application, but... But yes, theoretically, you know, it's a very large file server sitting on the network, basically unprotected and uh, kind of cool. Well, not this one. This one's the HP Secure Disk. It's protected. Well, I guess when it's plugged in, it's not protected. Okay, so when it's plugged in and you have access to the drive, yeah, I'm sure now you have open. a secure <laughs> file secure. storage. So if anybody wanted to steal the hard drive, they couldn't get it. Uh, couldn't get the data off. But yeah. Yeah, good times. Anyway, you can go into your story because I'm done. Yeah, this reminds me of the story I was planning on telling anyway, which is related to uh, last year's TorCon, which is a it's like a, a miniature DEF CON in San Diego. It's just a, a hacker convention, and they had a guess how many candy corn are in the jar and win a pony or something contest. And I was there with Jolly. <laughs> it was when something stupid, which I never got, by the way. I need to get on Geo's ass and see where my free thing is. But, okay. um... I was with Jolly uh, from a jollylife.com link in the show notes. Okay, so that was a very shameless plug, by the way. <laughs> just for a friend. You know, his website is not like, it's not, it's just bash scripts you might need. It's nothing worth plugging there, but he's just a really cool guy. Okay. Um, All right, I'll allow it. 
And and I was there with his brother. I'm glad I have your consent. I'll get you a stamp. Thanks. Uh, his, his brother, who's just this wicked cool guy, and I I regret not having more time to spend with him. But um, so we're down there and uh, we're just kind of hanging out. And they approach me at one point. And they're like, oh, because I, I think I walked out of a talk or something. Like, they stopped me in the hallway. I'll share. Like, dude, we took pictures of the candy corn thing. Let's go back. We'll do some like volumetric math, and we'll be able to calculate exactly how much is in there. And just like being a sarcastic ass, I'm like, why don't you just like switch the damn bottles? And they started cracking up and laughing. And I I just kind of rolled with it, pretending it was actually my original idea and then as we were walking talking about it, the more we talked about it, the more it actually seemed plausible because we knew that it was a uh, a jar a, a peanuts jar with you know the actual peanuts brand with peanuts in it because of the way it was shaped and the glue residue and um uh, it had some crumbs in the bottom that we identified as peanuts we actually we were walking around saying like do you know these crumbs and people were like oh yeah those are peanut crumbs I'm like okay it's peanuts and so um <laughs> Jolly's brother, who lived in the area, was like, "Well, let's go to the store." And he he actually suggested uh, Albertsons, which was kind of farther away. But we went to a closer store; and they didn't have it. And we were kind of sweating. We're like, "Oh man, we need to find this peanuts." Because we either thought where well, they either bought the peanuts here or they came from some weird store somewhere else. Which is, if I was doing this, I would have. If I had the option, I would have gotten the peanuts from some, the weirdest store I could find, so that no one could do what we did. But we're like, "Okay, crap, we need to find this this peanut jar." And um. We ended, oh, I remember why we thought to get a separate jar. We thought to get a second jar because they're like, well, what if we can go find a, a matching jar, fill it with candy corn and count that, count that? And I said, well, if you're going to do that, why don't you just switch them? And that's why we had the idea. But anyway, so we're walking out of this like 7-Eleven or whatever, kind of sweating, like, oh, we got to find this thing. So as we're walking to my car, I'm calling people on the phone like, man, do you have any peanuts? And they're like, no, Drake, I don't have any peanuts. I'm like, okay, fine. And then I found out later that one of my friends called, another friend said, I got this funny call from Drake. He was all freaked out asking for peanuts. And the guy's like, oh, oh, oh what? Hold on, I'm having the call. It's me. Man, do you have any peanuts? No, Drake, I don't have any peanuts. Like, just doing that, just calling people all day. No one had a peanuts jar. But So we show up at Albertsons, which is this grocery store, and like burst in. And I should add that Jolly and his brother look like terrorists. Like, just imagine like a terrorist, and that's what Jolly looks like almost. He has the whole scraggly beard and everything. Okay. So we're like running, we're, we're like running through the store, like bolting for the peanut section. We're like, where is it? I think it's that way. Like just running through the store. And the uh, manager comes on and goes, oh, sweep all aisles and sweep all aisles out at, at uh, an Albertsons grocery store. It's a nationwide chain. Uh, is code for there's a security problem, and I know this because a friend of mine used to work there. So uh, they saw us run into the store, saying, "Where is it? It's that way." And that was a security thing. But we ended up running down. We found jars that looked the same, and then we found jars that were the same. So we're pulling all the jars off the shelf, looking for the perfect matching jar. And we're going through photos, saying, "No, that jar's too weird. That jar's too funny." And we found one that not only was it a perfect match, it was the last one in the back. But we were matching these so closely that on the bottom, next to the recycle logo embossed on the bottom of the jar, it has a, uh, a number, uh, which I'm guessing is the lot number. Like they print, you know, this is lot 357 or right. 358, so quality control can go back and find it. But we found a jar that matched that lot number. Because <laughs> so he had a picture of the, of the jar at the bottom that had the lot number on it on his uh, camera. Jeez. Like, oh. Yeah, that's how matched it was, and the glue was in the same spot and everything. Like perfect. So we ended up buying this. We bought some candy corn there because we figured if they bought the jar, they must have bought the candy corn there too. And uh, we like uh, go back to Jolly's brother's apartment. And it, it's uh, it's not that I don't know Jolly's brother's name, but they're both named Jolly, so I have to distinguish between the two. So we're in his apartment. Like uh, it's it must. I don't know how late it was. And we're like dumping out the jar and we're filling it up with candy corn, counting how many we put in. Then we go back to the convention center. I paid for parking again, I should point out. I must have spent like $1,000 on parking this weekend. <laughs> but we go back there. Oh, a free tip. A friend of mine, because I was trying to like social engineer the parking guy to give me just a let me back in for free and I, it didn't work out well. But if you want to get into a parking garage for free, because a friend of mine used to have this job, what you want to say is, 
uh, I own this place or a friend of mine owns this place or a friend of mine owns a store in this place and I'm going to him because they almost never know who actually owns the restaurants there. But if you say uh, you're the owner, they're supposed to let you in. So free tip. Okay. I'll remember that. Yeah. But that's, that's actually kind of valuable. We can say like 10 bucks downtown in San Diego. But so we go down there and we go up to the top of uh, thinking that somehow we can like switch the drawers or something. And we end up talking to this, who's this really cool guy and he's super shady in some respects. And he showed us how to actually palm a, a switch and switch the jars, right? Cause we need to get their jar to, to count how many candy corn they had. And free, uh, fortunately for us, this was actually the official uh, staff photographer. So he goes, okay, and the candy corn jar is right there in front of everyone, so you can't do this kind of shit. And he goes, okay, everyone, we need a group picture. Everyone, look this way. Uh, I mean, over here, and moves like way <laughs> off to one side. Everyone turns to look at him, and then right on cue, Jolly makes the switch twice and gets the two things confused. And Jolly's like, oh, <laughs> fuck, which one is it? So we run over and we're arguing about it. And this is like, okay, I need one more. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Everyone, everyone look this way. I need one more. Hold on. Framing it. Still framing it. <laughs> like, look at this. Like, what the? And this, I have to, I have to give this some serious props. He, I made it sound like he was being like overdramatic about that, but he was really slick. No one turned around. We got it sorted out. We got away from there. And uh, to give Jolly credit, I probably couldn't have done much better. But it's funny because in the actual pictures he was taking, he was really taking pictures. You can see us in the background, like just Jolly. Then we run over like, oh, fuck, what do we do? And then, we, then you see us gone, just the one candy corn sitting in a different position. It's really funny. I'll have to post the pictures in the show notes if I can get them from Jolly. But uh, so we have their drama. We go back down to my car. We're just sitting in the back of the parking lot, like in my car with the light on, counting candy corn. And we had the system set up like, you know, you count how many candy corn and you also count them and then we'll compare numbers and see if anyone's off. And um, I kept eating them, but uh, it was perfect because we had their jar. So we know how many they think they have. And they had our jar. So we know how many they actually have. So we go back to the, the bedding table the next day. because so a lot of time is passing here, mind you. Um, I need to stop paying for these talks. I never go to my Stick around the candy corn. Um, but you're <laughs> supposed to put money down, like five bucks, and then you, um, you know, you, you, you count your number and whoever's closest gets the thing. So we're like, okay, we got 15 bucks, there's three of us. Um, we all want to pick the same number. And he's like, he looked at us like we're insane. Like, you can't do that. We're like, no, no. We all need the same number. You understand <laughs> me? He's like, he's just kind of staring at me. And I'm like, okay, look, I'm going to give you this much. And I just got, I slid an extra 20 across the table. We need this number. And to his credit, I'm sure he put the 20 in the Torricon Foundation thing. But he just looked at us like we were absolutely insane and put us, in turn, he put us all on one um, thing. And the spreadsheet looked so conspicuous as hell because there's all these amounts all over the place. And then just this one line that has three names on it, right, for this one amount. And, everyone, and you can see people walk over and look at the amount, look at us, look at the amount, and go, holy crap, that's weird. <laughs> so at the and but at the end um when they were announcing the actual value in the thing geo who's the one of the um conference organizers actually announced the wrong number and we're like what, what the hell wait, well, that's not right yeah we stood up and we're like you have the wrong number he's like how do you know and then jolly has the actual jar and holds it up and the whole place just started breaking out laughing and um uh, we we never did get to the bottom of why their number. It wasn't even like kind of off. It was off by like two hundred candy corns. It was bizarre. It was like it was like twice. Are the, you sure you had the right jar? Oh, we had the right. No, we had it down perfectly. It was. It was. They just miscounted. Um, because because well, the, the value in uh, their jar and our jar ended up being close to the same because the, the the candy corn was the same and the the volume of the jar was the same. But they were off by some amount that couldn't even fit in the jar. I mean, it was impossible. I'm perhaps sure they just guessed and. But, um, long story short, now that I remember it, Geo owes me in Jolly like a free Toricon pass or something, but I thought that was pretty clever. <laughs> so they actually, you know, applauded you for, for your sneakiness. Yeah, they actually, I, 
<laughs> well, it's it's a hacker conference. It's it's um, so your your uh, underhand underhandedness uh, paid off. Quite literally, that's how we did the switch. We had Jolly was walked up with the the candy corn situated under one hand and managed to do the switch that so way. So this is the only um, only time or only con in the in the world that you can actually get applauded for your creativeness of stealing candy corn. <laughs> that's right. Okay, all right. It was it was fun. All right, good but, uh, good times. Good times. Anyway, I actually it's it, this took longer than I thought it was because the stories ran long, but I actually need to run out of here. So let's wrap the show up. Oh, jeez, you're leaving me uh, hanging here. All right, fine. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I really failed this weekend. Yeah, you failed. You're sitting by the by the pool and you know hanging out and crap. So what is your topic going to be next weekend? The topic that couldn't uh, be done. In time I am this not going to announce this weekend. It. I, I'm going to save that for next week because I actually have two ideas and. Um, I have one fleshed out, sort of, kind of, and then the other is I thought of while we were doing the show today, this week. So, all right, so we'll we'll uh, we'll talk next week then. Okay, I'll see you next week. All right. Oh, um, I need to plug the website, hackradiolive.org. Go there, sign up for things. The show notes are great. What happened to the .com? I own them both. I own a bunch of domains. I cover our bases here. And also, also plugging, uh, you know, most of our listeners coming from uh, hackerpublicradio.org. That is true. Plug that. What's the address? Uh, www.hackerpublicradio.org. Good place to go. I recommend you go there, and then go to the other site that's better. Oh, okay. Well, hey... You're, you're, I'll see you next week. I, I'm, I, can't, I can't hear you. I, I can only hear you next week. Fine, alright. Look at me still talking.